Welcome everyone to Season 3, Episode 83 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yashpika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, we have the Premier Pod Awards. I know uh, we had one last season, now we finally have one this season. It's the conclusion of the Premier League, so only fitting that we end it on a basically an awards podcast. But before we jump into the awards section of the show, we want to quickly hit on some major news that developed in the Premier League today. The Newcastle um, Saudi Arabian consortium that tried to purchase um, Newcastle from owner Mike Ashley has officially pulled out of the deal. Um, It was pretty much a four month long process and we actually did a podcast on it. Oh gosh, maybe, you know, you can go back. I think it was, it basically had like the Newcastle owners, like new Newcastle owners in the title, but yeah, the deal is completely off now. The It was a four-month-long process, and Mike Ashley still owns Newcastle. So, um, you know, Newcastle fans, I don't know what to say. I think, you know, we're hoping that you guys can get a new owner soon, but it looks unlikely going into next season. And uh, some other big news in the championship, the final round of the championship playoff will be with Brentford and Fulham. Those two teams will fight it out for the final chan- final spot um, for promotion going into the Premier League. And some big transfer news. Nathan Ake looks like he's close to signing a contract with Manchester City. So City going in and getting a new defender immediately. And I, they're also in talks to sign Fernand Torres as a winger for Valencia. So some big news coming for City in the transfer news. But Tyler, I feel a little bad for Newcastle fans. I think they need a new owner, but unfortunately, I don't think the Saudi Arabian deal um, was really meant to be to begin with. It was kind of too good to be true. <laughs> As we, I remember we called it the financial takeover option from FIFA, yes. where you can just get here's a bunch of free money. But here they go, all the Newcastle fans dreaming of getting players like DiBala, Coutinho, Mbappe, and now they're going to be stuck with getting whatever the great value versions of those players are. <laughs> exactly. And I remember when we had Kevin Egan, it just popped up in my mind. He said that if he was a Newcastle owner, he would go in and try to get Murcio Pochettino as a manager right away. So I don't look, I, it doesn't look like the Pochettino um, dream will come true either. So man, I feel, I feel for Miguel Amiron and St. Maxim, um, you know, I hope, I hope they can invest more into the squad, but I don't know. It, it, it'll be difficult to see, but I, I wanted to know who are you pulling for in the championship playoff, Brentford or Fulham? I'm going for the bees, the Brentford team, because Ooh, okay. it's going to be a new team. That's going to be entering the Premier league. We've seen Fulham a couple times now. And as I think we gave Fulham in our last award season, the most disappointing team award because they spent so much money and literally got relegated. <laughs> they spent, I believe, <laughs> 80 plus million pounds. I know to, from getting promoted into the Premier League and then just spent it all on players. And none Literally of them all their out. players flopped. Yeah, all of them flopped. Like from Sherla, Sari, Serge Rico. Barry, I think Michael you gave Serge Rico yeah. the disappointed player of the season last year. Yes. So that's like a throwback <laughs> to last season where. <laughs> so that's why I'm like, man, I don't want to see Fulham again. I just want to see a new team in Brentford would be a very interesting one. Yeah. What about you, Yes? Where, what's your take between the two? I, I think it'll be good. I watched a little bit off of an illegal stream <laughs> the past 20 minutes of the <laughs> Cardiff-Fulham game. And I'm, I must say, it was pretty crazy. Cardiff like basically went all in and tried to throw everyone in the box to score a goal. But I thought Fulham were pretty good. They still have Scott Parker as their manager. Um, if you didn't know, he basically 
took over as the interim manager when they fired Claudio Ranieri at the end of last season. So it's good to see that he's still under the helm. Um, and they had a couple players that were part of the Premier League squad from last season, such as Cyrus Christie, um, Tom Kearney, I believe, and some other players. But Overall, I think it would be cool to see Brentford in the league. I remember, I know this is kind of off topic, but when I played FIFA, career mode, did a road to glory. Brentford would kind of be the team in the championship that had pretty much all the good players in terms of just quality, the pace, the quality. Uh, Brentford was always the team that had some of the best players in the championship. So I'm excited. I think if Brentford did it did go up, I think it will be pretty cool to see Leeds um, and Brentford into the into the Premier League. Um, again, and all, along with West Bromwich Albion. So I think I'm rooting for Brentford. Mm-hmm. Me too. <laughs> um, but yeah, that kind of concludes the little, I guess, major update news sections. We kind of wanted to focus primarily this episode on the Premier Pod Awards, and that's where we're shifting our focus to. So just to quickly round up who who what the awards sections are. First of all, we have Manager of the Season, the Underrated Player of the Season, Defender of the Season, most disappointing signing of the season, which you can basically call the flop of the season. Most hosted player of the season, which is more of our meme award, if you would say. Um, and then we have most disappointing team of the season, best player outside the top six clubs, surprise team of the season, goal of the season, player to watch next season, and player of the season. A lot of seasons in there, if you couldn't tell. Um, but um, if we, just a quick disclaimer, we have we're picking one person pretty much one or two people for each award. However, we're going to have some honorable mentions that, you know, it was kind of tough because some of these uh, awards, it was kind of tough to pick one person. So we had multiple people in mind. But to get things started, we have manager of the season. I'll quickly get my selection out. It has to go to Jurgen Klopp for obvious reasons. Delivered Liverpool a title for the first time, a Premier League title for the first time in their club history. Has basically launched and catapulted Liverpool to these unbelievable heights, you know, knocked off superpowers in the European stage and is taking down Man City and all their oil money one step at a time. But he's promoted some good players. He's signed some excellent players. So that's why I'm picking Jurgen Klopp. He was fantastic this whole season. However, I want to give some honorable mentions to Brendan Rodgers and Raf Hasenhutl. Raf Hasenhutl, obviously he lost 9-0 to Brendan Rodgers' Leicester City. However, Upon the restart, the Premier League restart, I would say Southampton has probably been one of the best teams in the Premier League. They're basically, the way they play is almost the great value brown version of how Liverpool play in terms of the their style of the high pressing and everything. And they have some, they have literally almost the best striker in uh, in the Premier League with Danny Ings. I mean, they've had to replace Pierre uh, Pierre Hoiberg because he wants to leave the club. And Hasenhutl has basically deployed like Romeu and a couple other guys like James Ward-Prowse in the midfield and such. So that's why he's my honorable mention. But Tyler, who do you have for your manager of the season? You got some good picks in there, Yush. And <laughs> I have to say, we have the same manager of the season pick, and that is Jurgen Klopp. Of course... Being a Liverpool fan, I have to say it's Klopp because he just kept the train going from last season. Like the, It just didn't stop in terms of this momentum and just the ferocity of how Liverpool went on the season to get the fastest Premier League win and also just the amount of points they had every single game, basically. It's like they just couldn't lose and they just mm-hmm. couldn't draw either. When like United 
when Manchester United got that one draw against Liverpool, yeah, I was like, all right, maybe crazy. it's done. And they, but then they I was own, like, holy crap, they yeah. just kept going. They just kept winning over and over. They, they literally did the most insane stuff. And granted, they did get eliminated from the Champions League from Atletico Madrid a little earlier than expected. But in terms of just the Premier League itself, literally Klopp like, couldn't have done it any better. Like If you try to replicate this in a FIFA career mode, you know how hard that is to go undefeated and just it's keep hard, winning every single match? Especially dealing with like FIFA scripting mm-hmm. and all that. <laughs> I'll say like not all matches were great. There were some that were really scrappy, but Klopp managed to find a way to always get the win and just deploy the perfect team. And that's why I will give it to you and Klopp. An honorable mention for me is Frank Lampard. He had really no expectations going into this season. Chelsea were in a position for Champions League and then also for in terms of the transfer ran itself too. Like they couldn't get anyone. So Frank Lampard just had to use what he got. And he did really well. And he ended up finishing the season fourth. And he's still in the Champions League and you know doing FA well Cup in final. the FA Cup. Yeah, FA Cup final. So like all those little things, Frank Lampard just brought out the most out of players like Tammy Abraham, Christian Pulisic, <laughs> and Mason Mount. All these young players that are just coming up from the ranks. So yeah, Reese James. Yeah, Reese James as well. So like all these names, except for Kepa, <laughs> all these names <laughs> coming through to Chelsea and then kind of making a tear, doing a lot better than say like Arsenal or Tottenham. So all these, all these teams that we thought were going to do better than Chelsea at the beginning of the season just couldn't perform to what Frank Lampard did, and not I, I believe it's like a second or third season as a manager. So. Yeah, I think it might be his second because I think he only had one season at Derby. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there you so, go. Frank Lampard. Yeah. No, I I think that I think those are good picks. I mean, it's kind of hard not to pick Klopp. I just like last year when Pep literally won everything, won like the domestic treble. Can't really pick anyone else besides Klopp here, but um, I, I do like the Lampard pick because you know they were talking about this in the broadcast. Lampard had every reason to kind of throw away the season in terms of oh he could make excuses. Like if Mourinho was coaching this team, Mourinho would make the excuse oh I had a transfer ban. Oh these players aren't good enough. Oh these players are old. They they don't like they don't play my style. I can't trust these players. But Lampard for you know we have to give him credit. He barely made. I don't think he made any excuses this season. He kind of knew what he was getting himself into going into this season. Basically deployed you know, his best starting 11 that he could field and was pretty ruthless with some of the older players such as Pedro, uh, Giroud for a certain extent in the beginning half of the season, um, you know, let go of David Luiz um, when they were in that transfer ban. So he was pretty ruthless. And I think that kind of paid off for him in terms of some of the decisions he made. And he did a good job of developing some of that younger talent. So I, I, I agree. I think this is good, a good, good shot right there. But Going into our next award, we have underrated player of the season. I'm going to pick two people for this. We don't normally pick two people for an award, but when you see my two selections, you'll kind of understand why. I'm picking um, a part of Sheffield United's defense, Chris Basham and John Egan. Picking those two because, um, you know, first of all, defenders don't really get talked about enough unless you're, you know, out of this world good but the reason Sheffield United were so good is because of the consistency in their back four and the consistency in the starting 11 as a whole but that defense you know backed up by Dean Henderson that defense was one of the big things for Sheffield because they were able to stay compact stay tight for most of these games and you know before the restart I mean they had some they had probably one of the best defensive records in the league in terms of conceding 
not conceding a lot of goals. I mean, they had one of the best defenses in the league. And I think a part of it has to be down to two of these guys. Um, I think they're great defenders. They popped up when they needed to in terms of the corners and stuff. But I think they were a, there were two great defenders um, that were part of a bigger piece of the puzzle. And for Sheffield United, that's part of the reason why they were so successful. So that's why my uh, underrated player of the season will go to those two guys. But I would have to pick as an honorable mention, Olivier Giroud. I'm only picking Olivier Giroud because I would say Chelsea have been really helped out, obviously, with the performance of Christian Pulisic. However, Olivier Giroud has done an excellent job of pretty much cementing himself as the best striker at the club right now. I know, well, Timo Werner technically is the best striker at the club (laughs) right now because he's official. Before Timo, Giroud basically leapt over leaped over uh, Tammy Abraham for me because what Giroud does so well is his hold-up play is immaculable. I mean, he, he's so good at the hold-up play and he's so good at basically doing what he does well and he doesn't really try to do anything too crazy that he can't really do. You know, he's not going to beat players off pace. We all know that. However, part of the reason why he started all the all the time in the World Cup for France was because he had a pacey striker that paced, played right alongside him at Antoine Griezmann. And Chelsea basically deployed sort of the same type of um, tactics where they had Pulisic or Willian on the wings or Mount or Willian, you know, whoever on the wings. And then whenever Giroud hold up, held up the ball, they were just sprinting. Um, they were sprinting, uh, you know, past Giroud so Giroud can just play a through ball and his link up play is really good for a striker that's usually because when you think of strikers that are big and bulky that hold up ball they're usually not the best at um, build up play however his one two passing his um, touch is really good you know he scored that scorpion kick for Arsenal a couple seasons back so overall I think he's a very good striker that a lot of people don't give credit for Um, and obviously he's never going to be talked about in the world class ranks and I'm not saying he needs to However, I think he he does need to get more respect on his name because he does put in a shift whenever um, called upon, I will say. Mm-hmm. Oliver, Olivier Giroud, literally <laughs> the biggest impact player off the bench, <laughs> in my opinion. But exactly you know, for Chelsea, he's making it big. And also for your Chris Basham and John Egan picks, I guess they can split the award, just split it in half and then share it. (laughs) (laughs) But it does make sense that you have to pick those two since for Sheffield, it was such a compact team that like it didn't really have that many interchangeable parts. It was just the same team mostly for the entire season. Yeah. And like very few players got injured or suspended. So that's why it's that Sheffield team did so well. But for my pick for underrated player of the season, underrated player of the season, it is Nick Pope, the Burnley keeper because he was in the golden glove race for most clean sheets in the season right until the very end when Ederson just managed to beat him by one clean sheet more than him by 16 to 15 and Nick Pope throughout the season he accumulated 120 saves and for a player that literally also shut almost shut out Liverpool which was very annoying to watch I was like he's literally keeping Burnley as well and single-handedly at times in that Europa League race, although they never made it into the Europa League, they were in that talk throughout the season because of Nick Pope. Nick Pope also is in the talks for potentially being a starting England keeper because yeah. you know Jordan Pickford 
although he does turn up occasionally for the England national team. For Everton, he's been not very great. Yeah. And, you know, Dean Henderson and Nick Pope are knocking at the door, maybe potentially getting that spot from Jordan Pickford. But I would say Nick Pope has been a kind of like resurgence because although he took over for Tom Heaton at Burnley, after a season, he got a big injury and then was out for a long time. And then Joe Hart took his spot and then he came back and then now he's back to being his old self and just going off. So it's looking promising for Nick Pope. And I'm curious to see how he's going to perform next season if he can do this consistently. Because if that's the case, I wouldn't be surprised if a big team like, say, Chelsea were to come after him to replace their own keeper <laughs> with him. Because he's yeah. uh, he's literally the England keeper. So if he's the top keeper for England, he should be playing for like one of the biggest teams in the biggest competitions consistently. Yeah, I, I agree. I think... Um... It was crazy because I remember when Tom Heaton was insane as well because he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, Tom Heaton was pretty good when he was starting and then Nick Pope took over. But even when Manchester United plays Burnley, he always comes up with some major saves, some saves that you can't even believe. And I think when they played Man City, uh, up for a certain moment, I mean, he was literally keeping every shot out. I mean, he's, he's an excellent shot stopper. And for him to be in a golden glove race, um, playing for a team like Burnley who aren't one of the top teams in the Premier League. I mean, that, that kind of says it all. I think we mm-hmm. have to give credit uh, where it's due. So I, I, I like the pick for Nick Pope. I think that is a, a, a good player for underrated player of the season, but going on to defender of the season, um, no really surprise here. I have Virgil van Dyke for Liverpool. Um, as much as it pains pains me to say it as a Manchester United fan he is definitely the best center back in the world I think you know people could make arguments maybe uh, Sergio Ramos um, just because of his goal scoring ability because my gosh he scored pretty much <laughs> I think he was scoring every game um, for Real Madrid towards the tail end of the La Liga season but Van Dyke, and he, he can really do it all he's so composed when he has the ball he's an excellent passer of the ball he's got um a great heading ability when you need him in the box he's very composed he is a great defender he's got the pace to keep up with some of the best some of the fastest players in the league he's so strong he knows how to positionally put himself in places uh he's just really you know if you were to create the perfect defender you I mean you probably put uh, you'd probably model it after Van Dyke. He's been so fantastic. And for me, one of the best, probably the most consistent and best defender in the Premier League this season and possibly, I would say, in all of Europe. Yes, I, I agree with you, Yeshan. Van Dyke being the best <laughs> defender. Probably, a, I, won't, I won't say the decade because Sergio Ramos, he has a pretty good argument for that since he yeah, literally won it, a World Cup and... A plethora of Champions League trophies. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I think um, I, I was gonna say, how tall is Ramos? Is he six foot? Okay, and then Van Dyke is what six like two, six four. Yeah, and it was. I mean, I, I think it's crazy for Van Dyke to be six four and be that fast too. It's, it's, it's insane. But yeah, I, that's why I say I think Ramos and Van Dyke are pretty much. You could make an argument for both, basically, but Van, Van Dyke, Dyke is, is obviously younger. <laughs> yeah, Van Dyke is obviously younger than Ramos and such. Mm-hmm. And also, Van Dyke hasn't been at this kind of level as long as Ramos. I feel like True. Ramos was kind of always at the top, even when he was at near the start of his career. Yeah, but exactly. True. For me, my defender of the season actually is not Van Dyke. Mine mm. is Trent Alexander-Arnold. 
because I it, it was it was a toss up between the two, Van Dyke and Trent. But I had to give it to Trent because I just liked how he brought a whole other dynamic to defense in terms of attack or in terms of defending by being like offensive. So like because he was always forward, he would always force the other team's winger that's, you know, kind of guarding him or marking him to also drop back. Otherwise, it's just a free cross for Trent. And since Trent is so good at crossing and just picking out plays kind of like a Kevin De Bruyne, but at right back like the he forces players to defend him and forces attacking players to go back into their own half and play deep so that was a very crazy thing to even think about where it's like man a defender that's doing this much in the attack that's crazy so he's kind of like a jack of all trades kind of like milner except if milner was really good at attacking (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was gonna say he's pretty he's like a master of something he's definitely mm -hmm. not a master of none yeah, but I feel like Trent can slowly transition into, you know, a center mid, that kind of yeah. player because he can just do so much and he's mm-hmm. so good at so much. He can take free kicks. He can like just cross. He can take free kick or he can take corners quickly. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's great. And he, I'd say, improved his right back marking and tackles a lot this season. There are certain times in previous seasons where he would let a man get past him a little bit too easily, but this season he was a lot more strong in the standing tackle department especially so he wasn't beaten as easily and i felt like certain players out there like world renowned players are thinking it's like this could be like a generational player where he could be the best right back in the world and he's only you know 21 22 mm-hmm. so i think that's why i'm going to give my award for defender of the season to trent yeah i i think that's a good award i know i keep saying this i'm going to keep saying this if I'll say it this way: If if um, if Trent Alexander Arnold and Juan Basaka performed the fusion technique, you'd probably have the the best right back of all time. <laughs> yeah, literally the best right back of all time because you have literally a guy that you can never get past and a guy that can cross for days. It'd be insane. But um, I think he's definitely put pressure. The way Alexander Arnold plays, I think he's put pressure on every club to find a fullback that can do that type of role. Mm-hmm. I know. Um, Robertson can do it, um, and he's pretty good at, at at his attacking play as well. But obviously, Alexander Arnold is another level. So I think we've seen a lot of top clubs in Europe and especially in the Premier League try to model or try to get a fullback or encourage their fullbacks to perform that same type of role in terms of being very attacking minded and um, you know progressing up the pit, uh, up the field and perform you know getting getting into those places where they can get those crosses in and such so mm-hmm. i i know that was a big thing for Juan Bissaka because in the beginning he was so good at defending but i think a lot of united fans were really uh you know a little hesitant or a little tense because he was so bad attacking but he had to improve that and luckily he's improved it a little bit he's nowhere near that level yet um but he's still improving so i think He's definitely revolutionized. I know Marcelo was kind of the catalyst for it, but uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold in the Premier League definitely has forced that change for a lot of teams. But that is a good pick. Now we're going to probably the one of my favorite awards, the flop of the season. I think it's always fun to do this one because going into every season, we are super excited for some of the signings that a lot of clubs make. However, a lot of these players don't ever turn out the way they're supposed to. My pick um could be controversial to some people i think it's kind of a well-known pick at this point but i'm gonna pick nicola pepe 
He was a player that when Arsenal signed for, what was it, like upwards to 80 million, right? Something mm-hmm. like crazy. like crazy numbers. Yeah, it was crazy numbers. It was close to when the Premier League season was going to start. And I was super excited to see him come into the Premier League. I knew he was coming from League on. I knew the adjustment period was going to be there in terms of he had to kind of develop the strength to be in the Premier League. He had to get adjusted to the style of Emery ball, the style of play. Because obviously, Emery was still the manager at Arsenal. However... What we saw from Pepe was a very inconsistent player that could occasionally score a bunch of free kicks in the Europa League. However, when it came to the Premier League, his one shining moment, I would say, was literally dribbling past Van Dyke and failing to finish against Liverpool. <laughs> uh, for being totally honest this season, I think he's still a good player. However, there was a lot of times this season where he was overshined by the young uh, Bakayo Saka for uh, Bakayo Saka for Arsenal. I mean... Saka basically um, at a certain point under Emery took over that, you know, that wing position for Pepe. And even when Pepe was fit, we saw Arsenal, whoever the manager was kind of opt for a different person to be playing in that position. And I think that spoke a lot about the confidence and form that Pepe had. And, you know, that's kind of why he's my pick for flop of the season. However, I will say that he finished with five goals and six assists, which isn't terrible, for a new signing, but when you pay 80 million for a winger that is not even young, is 24, 25, pretty much hitting the prime of his career, you would expect to be getting a lot more than what you got. So I'm hoping Pepe can turn it around next season, but this season was definitely not, you know, he definitely doesn't want to sit back and remember this season if I was Nick, if I, if I was Pepe. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe it was just an adjustment period. Maybe. He will become much better and kind of replicate some of the stats he had in league uh, next season. But, you know, that's the hope. Maybe he'll just <laughs> do the same and just get five goals, six assists next season, too. And they'd be like, man, 80 mil for this. Jeez. Yeah, it's like we might as well just get Walcott at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, I also have a flop of the season from league. Uh, and that is Tengui Ndombele for Tottenham. He was bought oh. for 55 million pounds around that marker, maybe 58 million. And he made 21 league appearances, but only had two goals and two assists. And of hey. his 21 league appearances, he only started 11 matches. Mm-hmm. and Or no, he started 12 matches and he substituted in nine of those. So, and at the very end of the season, after the project restart, he didn't even make it into the starting squad. So he wasn't yeah, even on Mourinho the bench. Mourinho just put him on purgatory. Because mm-hmm. he just <laughs> didn't deem him fit enough. And for someone for that much money that Tottenham spent that much money on a, a team that usually doesn't like to splash the cash, they just kind of just left him. And mm-hmm. for someone like that, I thought he'd be a player that'd be in the starting 11 every single yeah, I, game. I, when they signed him, I was like, this guy's going to be insane. Mm-hmm. He's actually going to be really good. And I think it's crazy because if when Mourinho says you're unfit, that's pretty much a telltale sign that you'll never play yeah. in his team ever again. Because we saw that with Luke Shaw, Henrik Mkhitaryan got that same type of treatment. Martial got that same type of treatment. Um, so Tottenham fans, if Mourinho says you're not fit, you're, you're it's looking likely that you'll never play for the team again. <laughs> so it's just, I don't know if it's the attitude of Ndombele or of Mourinho. Maybe it's a little bit of both. But... It's the combination of whatever it might be that's led him to basically underperform and just not reach even near that 50 
plus million prize tag of his and exactly. even show glimpses of why they bought him from league uh and why he shines so much for leon when he was on that team so yeah it, he was it's one of those players i was even like man i, I wish liverpool got him exactly Sometimes things work out for the better. Yeah, sometimes I guess we just we dodged a bullet there. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's also crazy. There's a report from a really well-renowned, um, pretty accurate reporter when it comes to European transfer, Fabrizio, um, and he basically said that Inter Milan are very, very interested in signing Tengui Nombele, and the talks could happen um, soon. And I think both parties are interested in getting a deal done. So Tottenham's interested in possibly letting go of um, Tengui and obviously Inter Milan are interested in picking him up. And I made a joke. Inter Milan at this point is basically going to be the Premier League because <laughs> you've got Ashley Young, <laughs> Kirsten Erickson, Romelu Lukaku. Um, who else is there? I feel like they've signed... Um, Ashley Young. No, yeah. I, oh, Victor Moses is on the team too. Oh, Victor Moses. Oh yeah. my gosh. So why did they have to sign Hakimi? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have Dude, literally Victor Moses. Come on. Oh now. my gosh. Hakimi at that that squad is gonna be insane. But I don't know what Antonio Conte is planning there. I think you know he's just trying to get all the good Premier League players. But you know, if if he leaves, that's a huge loss for Tottenham because obviously they're never, they're not gonna sell him for 55 million. They're gonna have to decrease the selling price for him. But you know, maybe this might discourage Daniel Levy from ever splashing the cash that much. <laughs> oh, no. Because if he flopped on Dang Dangui, he might just be like, well, you see what happens when you told me, you tell me to buy players and I buy players and they don't turn out good. So now we lose money. <laughs> oh, geez. But that, that is our flop of the seasons. Now we're going to kind of a fun award. Um, the most toasted player for us this season. We kind of came on agreement. We had Keppa. Keppa is receiving the most hosted player of the season. And honorable mentions go to David Luiz, Mustafi, Andreas Pereira, and Rudiger. Um, Keppa, I mean, I don't think there's there, there, there has to be that much to be said because Keppa literally has been one of the worst keepers in the Premier League these past couple of seasons. Not only is he bad, he's also very disrespectful to managers, <laughs> very rude, and... There, he just kind of lacks a lot of the goalkeeping traits he would want from a keeper you spent close to 60 mil, I think, or whatever. Yeah, um, the, the record for most yeah. expensive keeper of all time. Yeah, more expensive than Ali Son in that same mm-hmm. transfer window. Isn't that insane? So, there is there's a stat I, I, is eluding me, but it's, it's something you have to do with for every shot he faces. I, w- I believe the ratio of the amounts of shots that go in to the ones he saves is ridiculously low. It's, it's just like he lets in more than he saves at certain points. And I can see it because there's certain times when his positioning is just so stagnant where maybe he's setting up for a free kick or maybe someone's taking a corner kick and then he just, and then the ball comes at him, but he just, it's just planted still. He just can't move. He just yeah. doesn't, he refuses to He has, he has really just, bad, really bad reaction times, I would say. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes like his handling, just like he just chucks it into <laughs> another player into the <laughs> net or just yeah, his passing ability is not very good, especially from a keeper for Spain. You'd expect his passing ability to be decent. I remember last year when Sari was trying to implement that style. We always like uh, Kepa doesn't look that comfortable playing, um, playing out from the back. Mm-hmm. And I would say, as you kind of mentioned, worst of all is that I think it's just his lack of respect towards the managers because we just yeah. thought it was like sorry like maybe it's just uh 
when Sar is the manager, he's just, <laughs> just couldn't cope with him. But if Lampard is benching him too, that's that's a sign where it's like, all right, it's it's not only sorry, it's also like other managers are seeing like, all right, this is he's not the one to the point where Kepa in a must win game against Wolves for the final game of benched. the Premier League season, he got benched for Willie Caballero. And that kind of just shows shows that <laughs> it's like if you can't rely on the most expensive keeper of all time in a must win game against Wolverhampton Wolves, it's like that's you're going to get the most toasted player of the season award as and and that's not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, like, no, it's it's not. And I it's crazy because when David De Gea, I know he's had a pretty bad season in general this season compared to his normal seasons. However, every time he made a mistake, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was like, this is our keeper. We have to back him. We're backing him and give credit to where it was due. I mean, each time he made a mistake, we still backed him. You know, the you know the manager and the players still backed him. However, when Kepa was benched, I didn't see a single Chelsea player kind of come out to his defense. And Lampard was really quick to bench him. He was not even giving him a chance. Like, he didn't go out to the media saying, oh, this is our keeper. We need to protect him. It was just like, okay, you made a mistake. You're, you're out. Just get out. <laughs> Like that's what that's what he gets. <laughs> Kepa, <laughs> he's just rude boy. Oh man! So, and yeah, then the man we roasted the most. Exactly. The I, it was funny. We had uh, Pereira in there. I think I had to throw him in there because, as a Manchester United fan, he has done a lot in terms of you know off the pitch in terms of talking to the media, just being and uh, just stirring up drama for no reason for not not inside the Manchester United locker room, but just saying things about other clubs, which is nice. It's pretty funny to hear. However. His performance on the pitch have been terrible. I cannot believe at one point in the season United had Fred and Pereira as they're literally holding two midfielders. <laughs> I think that I think just hearing those two those two names in the holding midfield spot can is is enough to is enough to make anyone kind of uh uh what's the word I'm looking for make anyone cringe. basically yeah cringe. Um, so Pereira has been awful. He's in there. David Luis has been awful. Mustafi has also been very awful. And Rudiger has been pretty awful as well. So a lot of bad players for some of these bigger clubs in England. Mm-hmm. But man, but moving on to most disappointing team of the season. All right. I have two, I have two teams on here. I have Arsenal and I have Bournemouth. I have Bournemouth because I'm going to actually pick Bournemouth as my number one because I thought they would be not comfortably safe in the Premier League. I still thought they were going to, you know, relegation battle was still going to be, they would still have to fight in the relegation battle. However, I thought they had enough quality and they had the coach and the right culture in the club to get them out of that those positions and just stay in the league. However, there was a pretty telling stat this season they have not scored the same amount of goals as they did last season. Their goal scoring tally has went down. Some of their bigger players, such as Callum Wilson, Josh King, um, Ryan Fraser obviously didn't play a lot this season because of his contract distribution and the fact that he never re-signed and Bournemouth couldn't get him re-signed. And David Brooks, a lot of those guys that we rely that Bournemouth rely on in terms of scoring goals and creating chances didn't really turn up this season, whether through injury, contract talks, or just the overall play of themselves. And uh, Dominic Solanke didn't really pan out, was a failure of a signing. Jordan Ibe was a flop. They've kind of splashed the cash a little bit in trying to sign some of these youngsters that didn't really live up to the world-class potential, but maybe still had a chance of reaching some sort of potential. I've noticed that with Bournemouth. They kind of sign players like that, that same type of ilk. And a lot of times those players don't pan out for them. And... 
just in general, I think the reason they haven't been getting their attacking side going, they pretty much live and die by the uh, by attacking football with Eddie Howe and everything. And when it wasn't going good, it wasn't going good because they couldn't stop teams from scoring goals on them. I mean, Nathan Ake is a, uh, an excellent defender, but he can't really do it by himself. Aaron Ramsdale has been kind of disappointing as well. So overall, Bournemouth have been pretty disappointing just based on the fact that they're attacking Basically, how they've been, their attacking play has been very bad because they just haven't been able to create and score the same amount of chances that they have, that they've been able to do in years past. So that's why they have my most disappointing team of the season. Mm -hmm. And for me, my pick for most disappointing team of the season is also Bournemouth. I did give an honorable mention to another North London team that's Tottenham because the expectations for them were pretty high. In terms of getting Champions League once again and also having Jose Mourinho, having Endombele on the team, Harry Kane kind of trying to replicate his high goal scoring tally from last season. Just all those expectations also just making it to the Champions League final in the season before too. It's just they had a lot of expectations and then they ended up almost not making it into Europa League <laughs> for next season. So Exactly. That's Tottenham for you. That's the team that is disappointed. <laughs> Their fans, but the team that I would say disappointed them even more is Bournemouth. I don't want to like repeat too much of what Yush said about Bournemouth, but also he he kind of mentioned some points that I wanted to bring out, and that they kind of were the reverse Southampton in terms of getting Liverpool players instead of getting Liverpool to buy their players. So <laughs> Bournemouth picked up Solanke for twenty million pounds, which I would say is high highway robbery. In terms of Liverpool's perspective, because it's like, how do we manage to get 20 million for him? It's like he, <laughs> it, he struggled to score and he continued that struggle when he was at Bournemouth. He's like Mr. Struggle, but <laughs> Mr. Struggle, I, Mr. He's like the 10, the number 10 on the team. He literally has the number on his back and he he's got released. released. He's re- literally a released. <laughs> he's he was going to be one of their star players and he got released like literally this past week. So mm-hmm. that kind of shows that. And then also Harry Wilson, he was a player that was on loan from Liverpool and he was doing all right at the beginning of the season. He was he scored that free kick he scored against Man City free kicks and yeah. he was showing some promising signs, but it's just certain games where he just had, he, I remember distinctly one game, he was one-on-one with a keeper and then he, all he had to do was finish it, but he just didn't have that clinical ability to just get it past the keeper like he took the shot on target but it was just didn't have enough whip not enough power and then the keeper got to it so it's just like little things like that like the quality was just lacking in mm-hmm. the team and just not getting ryan frazier as yes said to re-sign and just play out the rest of the season yeah really I, hurt I, them. I i was gonna say i think if you go to season one's end of the season awards i think we had ryan fraser as our underrated or best player outside the top six i think you had him as your your best mm-hmm. player because he actually created i think 12 assists or something yeah. something crazy like, like that the assist, the assist category in terms yeah, of like- last season and ryan fraser for me has always been a player i've low-key kept an eye on because he is very small he's a super like he's a yeah, small man. tank i would like to say but than me <laughs> yeah he's short and but he he plays with the this intensity and he's so good attacking for bournemouth because he can create those chances and I thought uh, for a moment in time, I thought he was going to go to Arsenal maybe or some other semi-bigger club. I thought someone was going to pick him up. But obviously, we've seen... I know a lot of Bournemouth people don't want to admit that they missed Ryan Fraser. However, the stats are telling. I think 
you know, it's pretty obvious that if Ryan Fraser was in this squad, you know, maybe it could have been a different story for Bournemouth. Maybe they're still in the Premier League, but um, unfortunately for them, they just never got him re-signed onto the team. Mm-hmm. And that kind of moves us into our best player outside the top six clubs. We both mentioned Bournemouth and Ryan Fraser. However, for me, I am picking Danny Ings, the Southampton striker. First of all, I will I will want to say this. It was really nice seeing Danny Ings kind of get back to that form of that 2014-15 season when he was at Burnley. It's crazy to think he was at Burnley at one point, but obviously when he was at Burnley during that season, he was a striker that a lot of bigger clubs were keeping an eye on, like Manchester United, Liverpool, and he ultimately signed for Liverpool. However, he had some pretty horrific knee injuries and some a lot of like major major injuries in his career that, you know, could have curtailed and stopped his career. However, you know, he fought back, he bounced back, he went to Southampton, he slowly started to pick up his form again. And this season he kind of just popped off and became that striker that we saw at Burnley. He's so good. I mean, he, his, his knack of just being in the right place at the right time, he's got, you know, an excellent shot on him. He's, he's got, I remember he curled one shot, I think in the upper 90 or something like that in one of these games. He's got an excellent finesse shot. He's he's a really good, just natural goal scorer. Whenever he's one-on-one through goal, you kind of expect him to put the ball in the back of the net. It's unfortunate that the Euros didn't happen this summer because if they were, Harry Kane and Rashford would have still been injured. And I genuinely think Eric Southgate would have picked Ings as one of his players to bring up into the England national team. However, I will say this. I think it was just... It was just one of those feel-good stories. It was just really nice to see Danny Ings perform at a high level again, especially given the fact that we've seen um, the injuries that has curtailed his career for a little bit when he was at Liverpool. It was nice to see him bounce back and rejuvenate even the Southampton team in general. So mm-hmm. Danny Ings is my best player out, outside the top six um, clubs. Award. <laughs> yeah, award. <laughs> and I have to go on a little bit with Yush in terms of like kind of giving Danny Ings it's his credit because like he literally I remember one of my friends uh shout out to Lath he became a Burnley fan when we we're in high school because of Ings like he just watched mm. Ings he's like man this guy's insane and also for his fantasy team he's like man I don't know who this guy is but he's giving me a lot of points and <laughs> so he became a Burnley fan because of Ings so like I'm, I'm glad to see Danny Ings coming back and you know basically also kind of single-handedly keeping Southampton in the Premier League. But for me, my best player outside of the top six award, this is a long title <laughs> for an award, yeah. but I have to give this award to Adama Traore because he came into the season, like like everyone knows about Traore and everyone knows about like his past at Barcelona, at his time in Middlesbrough for a little bit. And then when he went to Wolves, that's when he started also getting like bulkier and bulkier and then to the point where now he's the same size as like Ezekiel Elliott, like an NFL running back. I know. So like the NFL top 100 list just came out and I'm pretty sure you can slip Adama Traore into that in terms of just physique because he's literally <laughs> a player that has been like built where you can't defend him. It's just like kind of mm-hmm. like when Peter Crouch was in the, in the league. How do you defend someone who's six foot seven? Yeah, and the in the way it's like, how do you defend someone like Adama Traore, who's literally like a running back, like a tank? Like the coaching staff puts baby oil on his arms so that when players try to grab him, they can't because like that's the <laughs> only way they can really stop him. Oh, that's funny! It's insane. So this guy has the biggest muscles I've ever seen, and he's shown production this season too. He has four goals and nine assists. 
in 37 games played for Wolves. So although he didn't start all the games, he came off the bench and was an impact player. He's one of those star right wingers that I really hope that Liverpool is looking into. <laughs> I was like, if there's I any know. player I really want at Liverpool, it'd be Adama Traore because it's just like, how you defend a player like this? This is just such a unique kind of player to have because whenever you think of a soccer player, like a typical soccer player, you don't think of someone with this kind of physical body attribute where it's like big arms, big upper body, like huge legs. Usually it's more like, you know, nimble kind of players. Not yeah, someone like who's Alexis be Sanchez. Like, yeah, like, like Alexis Sanchez kind of tight where it's like, man, I don't know. <laughs> you take him to no, the beach. I, like, I don't know, man. I, I think it's crazy. <laughs> no, I, I I agree. I think... But you're an athlete? <laughs> no, like, it, yeah. he, he's, so, he's so good because he's such a unique talent in terms of his the way his body is built. However, his goal scoring and his end product this season has been phenomenal because the biggest... Mm-hmm question mark with Traore was never his physical abilities because everyone could see that he was super fast, super strong, very physical. However, it was always his end product. And that was one of the things I remember watching him when he was at Aston Villa on loan for them when they went down in 2015, 2016, and then at Middlesbrough was this guy could get past anyone. However, when it came down to like actually putting a ball in to assist someone or scoring, I mean, it was pretty horrifyingly bad. However, this season, I got to give credit to Wolves. They've done a really good job of coaching him up and Triori in general has done a good job of just making his overall play better in terms of now he's actually a threat for teams, you know, because the, the biggest question was like whether he could actually perform and get that end product. And now he pretty much has it. So mm-hmm. he's an asset for anyone that has him and Wolves right now are sitting uh, with a with a really good talent on their hands. So credit to where credit's due. And now moving to our surprise team of the season. For me... And if you go back to our preview episode, for me, I had Sheffield United as one of the teams I was going to go immediately back down into the championship. And how, boy, how wrong I was because Sheffield United, I know they tailed off a little bit after the restart. However, during the majority of the season, they've been one of the best and most consistent teams in the Premier League. I mean, we talk about consistency. They pretty much kept the same starting 11 for the longest time and no one really got injured or hurt. They had, they, you know, they benefited off having Dean Henderson on loan. They had those wonderful defenders, obviously with Chris Basham and Kevin Egan or not Kevin Egan, um, John Egan. (laughs) Yeah. Kevin Egan, our boy commentator, but, uh, they, they were just so much consistency in the, in the lineup. You had John Fleck, Ollie McBurney, um, McGoldrick. He obviously he wasn't that big of a goal scorer, um, but he he held up the ball well. I mean they had Lee, uh, they had Musay come off the bench. I mean they just had a overall very well structured team. And when you have a good structured side that you know they have a manager like Chris Wilder that can inspire them. And you know we thought maybe this team could be one of those teams that just sits back and plays on the counterattack, but that was far from the case. I mean we've seen times this season where they literally were on the front foot pressing, playing, attacking football, and they weren't afraid to go at teams. I mean, I remember the Manchester United game when they went to when they went to Sheffield United. They pretty much owned Manchester United for the entirety of the first half. They were creating a lot of chances, and they just weren't afraid to play attacking football. But what kept them so stable was their defense, Dean Henderson, and just that midfield of just... ah, I, I, I'm running out of words to say. They were just so consistent and so good, and they were definitely a team that just surprised me um, all over the place. They were just so well coached and a, such a good team to watch this season. 
I don't want to sound like a broken record, but literally, <laughs> I think Yush and I both put Sheffield as our easy throwaway 20th place relegation team in our preview mm-hmm. to Sheffield because literally they didn't buy that many big name players. They didn't buy yeah. any Premier League ready players. It was just and I still feel like most of the team is still individually not, you know, Premier League level players. They're, they're all yeah. just a one solid unit. And that's why they're so hard to break down. Yeah, I will. I will say they did buy Sander Berg in the January transfer. I really like him. I think he's a he can be a really good player. But mm-hmm. that was obviously in the January transfer window. And then, of course, John Fleck, someone who we highlighted throughout the yes. season here and there. He was a really good center mid for Sheffield, and it was just so unique how they got their goals. And it's mostly from set pieces and just like those kind of ways of like like open play was not very common. I would say like they mostly mm-hmm. got their wins from playing very scrappy and very like hard to break down football, kind of like Burnley esque when Burnley's in their prime. But for Sheffield to do this, it was incredible to see. And for a team that just got promoted to do this, it was incredible. It was it, it's as just as mentioning, it's like we just don't really have the words to say it because it's just like it's unexpected like it's literally the surprise of the team or the surprise team of the season so they almost got into the europa league they were hitting the door for champions league for most of the season too it's just how insane would that have been if they got champions league that i don't know how they would handle that it's like, it's like barcelona like they have real madrid coming into sheffield's home that'd be yeah, the crazy. are facing the madristas it's like all right eight <laughs> zero. <laughs> it's like all right <laughs> it's time to hang up the boots <laughs> but that is our pick for surprise team of the season yeah but now going into one of the fun more fun awards to pick is goal of the season there were all right this season was a little weird uh, for me, especially, I think last season there was a clear cut winner on who was the goal of the season. It was Andros Townsend's freaking volley from one of the most well hit and crisp volleys I've seen probably since that uh, the World Cup with uh, Benjamin Pavard. However, that that volley he scored for Crystal Palace against City was one of the best goals I've personally seen. Um, but for me, I'm going for a little bit of a different type-ish goal. And I'm going with Hyunmin Sun's, Hyunmin Sun's solo goal against Burnley during the honeymoon phase of the Jose Mourinho era, I think back in November or December. It was basically a solo run where he basically outran the entire Burnley defense and just went past, I think, like three or four players on his way to scoring a very wonderful solo goal. Um, to me, it, it was it was such a good goal to watch because it was something you don't normally see in the Premier League that often because you normally see a player like Messi do something like that. However, Hyunmin Sun just basically pulled it out of his back pocket, ran with the ball and beat, you know, three or four Burnley players to end up scoring the goal past, um, you know, in the back of the net. And I think it kind of describes a little bit Hyunmin Sun because usually with Sun, we kind of see him. He's the type of player that he's got a lot of pace, but he's the type of player you normally see curling in shots from like the upper 90, finessing shots, um, being that, 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 well, like well, yeah, yeah, basically, basically as, as, uh, as, uh, yeah, Sinaldo, as like Mourinho likes to say. However, this that goal was kind of a different type of style, I would say, because I I've never really seen Hyunmin Sun kind of beat people off tricks and stuff. He's never the guy that would do like stepovers and a bunch of flicks and tricks to get past people. Um, so for me, that was it was pretty cool to see that, and I think it was just amazing to have someone literally run from their own half 
beat three or four players and score that goal. Um, so that's why he gets my pick for the best goal this season. It reminds me of like a more extreme version of when he outran Jorginho. Yeah, Jorginho. <laughs> <laughs> it was like that kind of goal. And also of a really old goal back in the day when Hudson Ben Arfa. Oh my gosh, yeah. Newcastle. Just yeah, I, I know that goal. Like the entire team. Yeah, if you don't if you don't know that goal, just literally look up Hatem Ben Arfa Newcastle goal. It will come up. It will just be him beating the entire team. It was insane though, like the the way he started off, like basically nutmegging someone, mm-hmm. with like a what was like the heel at the back of his heel, basically. Insane. I don't remember the exact image, but it's just I just remember I was like, what the heck? <laughs> this ain't FIFA. What the? But for my goal of the season. As just mentioned, there was not really a clear cut one. And I'm, in my opinion, after the restart, there weren't that many crazy goals. It was very scrappy, I would say, in terms of just the quality of the goals. Mm-hmm. But there weren't any like, you know, crazy scorpion kicks or too many bikes this season. There's a, you know, Jahan Bosch's bicycle kick for um, Brighton and then also Welbeck's bicycle kick. Yeah. But the goal I picked for goal this season is Kevin De Bruyne's outside vault outside the box volley against oh, Newcastle yeah. where the it was thunderbolt. it was a thunderbolt <laughs> where he controlled it from outside the box Ooh. on a half volley and then just without it even getting the the ball the chance to really settle down he just whipped it and then it went from the outside of the box in like a split second to the bottom crossbar of the goal and then into the back of the net it was, it insane. was insane it was it kind of reminded me of Hamas Rodriguez's goal in the World World Cup Cup. where he did like a crazy flick behind and then he just turned around and just um, or no he basically controlled it and then on the half volley hit it into the back of the net it was kind of like that except De Bruyne was doing it while on the move so it was kind of spoiled in that game because John Joe Shelby did almost the same no he did he did like a a volley-esque kind of one hit shot to level Newcastle and then that kind of blocked what De Bruyne did, but that goal, like the technique De Bruyne did, and just the veros- the velocity of just how he struck the ball and the way he did it, it was just insane. Yeah. And in terms of just replicating goals, I'm I'm thinking like, how the heck do you even replicate that? Yeah. <laughs> like usually if you try you, that, the ball is just going to spin to the left or right of you, pretty much. Or, or you're going to miss it. Rose oh yeah. yeah. Or, or you probably shank it if anything, because like, <laughs> how do you even hit it that sweetly while on the move? Yeah. So, and with that much pace too, it's insane. Mm-hmm. I, and I would say. Um, with De Bruyne, you would kind of, it's getting to the point where you're kind of expecting him to hit a volley at this point with like perfection. Cause he's been doing it pretty much all season and he scored a goal. I think in the last game of the season where he basically cut it onto his right foot and just whipped it into the, uh, upper 90. I mean, he's getting to the point where he's, uh, he's becoming a consistent outside the box goal scorer. And it's, it's kind of scary considering <laughs> he's so good at so many other things in his game. So. Um, that's, that's, that's definitely a good pick to, uh, for De Bruyne, but going, I know we're get, approaching the, the 54 minute mark, so we don't want to make it too long, but we got player to watch next season. I have, uh, it was kind of hard for me for this one. So I had Greenwood, Saka, James, Justin, and Paul Pogba. I'll get this out of the way. The reason I have Paul Pogba here is because I feel like for the first time in his Manchester United career going into next season, now that they have Bruno Fernandes and they're looking to pick up players like Jack Grealish and some other players to beef up the midfield and beef up the attacking side of the game, I honestly feel like this is the first time we might actually see the Paul Pogba that was from Juventus, the Paul Pogba that plays for the French national team, the Paul Pogba that Manchester United splashed 
upwards of 80 million for from Juventus, a guy that can play box to box. The guy can create chances, you know, basically whenever he's bored, can just create chances for fun um, and is willing to come back and do the defensive work. But a midfielder that can finally be able to use his entire creative, you know, his attacking um, strengths and personality, <laughs> and just let his personality show. He's a big personality guy. And I finally feel like for the first time, we might actually see the Paul Pogba having fun and playing the way he wants to play. And he's going to, there's not going to be this big pressure put on him because now he has players like Bruno Fernandez and players like Marcus Rashford and Martial have taken the next step in their career. And if they keep adding players such as Grealish or Sancho, it's going to take more pressure off him and just allow him to play the Paul Pogba way. So that's why he's an honorable mention, but I'm going to pick a low key one here. James Justin, the right back for Leicester city. I think he can be a really good player for them next season because in that game against Manchester United, he was single-handedly keeping United away from the goal and stopping pretty much every single shot that United have. I mean, he was pretty much fearless going in and blocking shots. John Terry-esque, I would say, almost. Not using his head, obviously, but the his ability to just get his uh, get his body on the line to block those shots. And I think his... Um, his physical traits in terms of his pace and his athletic ability was shown during that game too because, and even in the games I've seen him play before, he's got, he can jump really high, but he's also got a good athletic ability where if he makes a mistake, he has enough pace to kind of make up for that and really just get himself back into the normal position. Something similar to what Trent Alexander-Arnold did, you know, when he didn't have some of that defensive proudness or like that defensive awareness, he could kind of make up for it with his athletic ability to get back in position and such. And we're seeing that with James Justin. And I think with Ricardo Pereira having that ACL injury, I believe we're going to probably see more of James Justin going into next season, especially with Soyan Chu and Johnny Evans, I believe will be suspended going into the start of next season. So look out for James Justin. I feel like another season at Leicester city. And if he performs and he continues growing, I feel like a big six club will probably be after him. Uh, sooner or later, probably Manchester United at this point, because we're looking, <laughs> looking like we're buying, we're becoming United. Leicester City is becoming United's or Liverpool Southampton, if you get what I'm saying. Like just buying every Leicester City player to make their squad better. So maybe they'll uh, get James I, Madison too, like a bogo yeah, deal. Exactly. So I'm I'm going James Justin for my pick. Okay, I would say I have some honorable mentions for who I'd pick. Rian Brewster, of course, is a one yes. player I hope will get some playing time next season for Liverpool. Literally from season one, Tyler has been talking about Rian Brewster. Rian Brewster, mate, he is he he was doing pretty well for Swansea on loan this past season to the point where he scored in the playoff match for Swansea against Brentford. But of course, Swansea got eliminated, so Brewster couldn't do it all. But he's had a pretty promising season, so I'm kind of curious to see how he does. And then also, Jared Bowen is a honorable mention. He is a winger on West Ham. West Ham. He was one of the more expensive players for West Ham, but he was injured for most of the season. So I'm curious to see how he'll do for next season because he has a lot of potential. And whenever I play FIFA in career mode, I always just see him <laughs> just mm-hmm. bought by other teams. I'm like, all exactly. right. Sometimes FIFA's right. So I don't really yeah. we don't really have too much about him, but like in the past I, he's performed pretty well during yeah, Project restart. restart. Yeah, yeah since Project Restart. Right. Yeah, so, and him him and Suchek and Antonio been insane. Like that little trio right there has been pretty promising. And also the last honorable mention I have to give is Kieran Tierney. He although he, you know, 
made himself pretty well known while Celtic and then in the second half of Arsenal season. I I still think that he has a lot to really show. Mm-hmm. And I think he's going to be a big player because even in the last game of the season, in the Premier League at least, he scored for Arsenal and he was already you know going off for the team. So I'm thinking he's going to be a very promising player. But for me, the player to watch for next season is... For me, Curtis Jones, the center mid for Liverpool, because he is an academy product that won the Premier League two player of the season award. And not every player gets that, especially mm-hmm. in Premier League two. And for a team like Jurgen Klopp, where he has to decide, am I going to bring in certain players like Thiago Alcantara into the team to help, you know, fill the gaps of losing Adam Lallana and losing potentially other players like Shakiri as well? Do I bring in other players that are of higher quality or do I maybe put in the trust into certain players like K- Curtis Jones and hopefully they blossom and you know perform and show why they got certain awards like this. And being a Academy product and from Liverpool, I'm I'm excited to see if he's going to be like another big leader like, you know, Jordan Henderson or Trent Alexander-Arnold is because, you know, Trent being from Liverpool, he's really shown that pride from being in the city and I feel like maybe Jones will give that kind of similar kind of vibe for the team so I'm curious to see how we do and he did make five appearances this season and in each of those appearances he's been showing pretty promising signs he even scored a, a goal here and there so that's gonna be interesting to see how he's gonna be implemented and that'll be my pick I remember last season we literally made this award yeah, we were high for on, Harvey Barnes. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say we were pretty high on Harvey Barnes. So I don't know how trustworthy our picks can be. We, mm-hmm. we, we may just be two idiots and just not know what we're talking about because <laughs> we were literally so high on Harvey Barnes. And granted, he did perform decently in the beginning half of the season, but then everyone just kind of realized he's just all pace, all pace, yeah. no talk. <laughs> it's just, I mean, he can hit a volley, but it's just like yeah. oh, he just couldn't do it consistently. Yeah. But I, I have a good feeling for next season. I think our picks will probably turn out a little bit decent, I would say, next season. But I, I was going to say, I think for Liverpool, I don't want to go too much over time, but it'll be interesting because they are going to be fighting for the league again, the Champions League again, and you know, obviously every cup competition they're available in. So that's why I might think that Klopp might try to get a balance of maybe getting some senior experienced players just so you have that assurance that these guys are not going to choke if the pressure comes to them, you know, sometimes with younger players, you have to go through a, cause take it from a Manchester United fan who has seen, you know, Marcus Rashford, Martial, you know, some of these younger guys kind of groom under, under my eyes. It's definitely, you're going to see a lot of peaks and valleys, you know, it's going to be a bunch of highs and lows, but it's very exciting when you have younger, younger players come through, come through the Academy and just come, come through the team because it's something that you can take a lot more pride in. Cause it's like, Oh, you know, I, I supported them when they weren't the top of their game. You know, I supported them. And it's just kind of cool seeing each season how much they progress and what type of techniques and qualities they add. So I'm, I'll am i pay attention to Curtis Jones. I think he'll be, I'll take your word for it, Tyler. I think he might <laughs> he might play like an integral part for Liverpool next season. Um, I hope so. Yeah. So I'm looking <laughs> forward to it. This, this award's not a curse. Yeah. Hopefully it's not a curse because I definitely want to see Paul Pogba doing I'd good cry. things. Uh, <laughs> but moving on to our final award yes our final award has been long we apologize there's a bunch of stuff to get through but the premier pod mvp player of the season award um for me i 
personally have to pick Kevin De Bruyne. Finished the season with 13 goals and 20 assists. A fantastic season for Kevin De Bruyne. Tied Thierry Henry's assist total from the 2002-2003 campaign, which was the single highest assist tally in the Premier League, which is insane for a striker to have. But for Kevin De Bruyne, um, this season he was not injured. Last season he was basically in and out of the squad with a bunch of major knee injuries and such. So we never got to see the best of him completely. However, he, I think, I believe he's now like 28 or 29, mm-hmm. but he's really starting to show that I would say he is probably the best midfielder in Europe right now, if I'm being honest. I'm trying to think of another uh, midfielder, but for me, I don't think any other midfielder kind of comes close to Kevin De Bruyne's game. You know, in terms of his attacking his attacking talents of how he can just basically score off the volley. He's got a venom. He's got a, he's basically his foot is just made out of venom. I mean, his shots just come out with so much velocity. Obviously he's a great playmaker. So for me, he's probably the best midfielder in Europe. And he, that's why he earns my premier league premier pod player of the season award. I think it'd only be right if uh, Yosh and I are <laughs> ended this episode with another end, ends this, ends this award on the same player and that the MVP is kind of like a unanimous vote because for me is also Kevin Bruyne. He, that goal tally of 13 goals and 20 assists is just insane. He's, mm-hmm. We're thinking it's like, all right, well, Messi, you know, he done kind of similar, like Messi, you know, got the 20 goals and then 20 assists, but you know, Messi's literally God. <laughs> He's yeah. like, there's not going to be any other player, maybe in our lifetimes that will, be like Messi. So for De Bruyne, at least in the Premier League and in a league where he has to do it in a like week game in, big game out. And he only had 35 appearances. And of those 35 appearances, he didn't start all of those because, you know, Pep Guardiola likes to rotate so much. So for him to do that in the amount of games he's played too, that's incredible. And also for getting the award for a goal this season, <laughs> it's like I have to give it to him. So Kevin De Bruyne is our MVP of the Premier League season for 2019-2020. I would say honorable yes. mention for me is uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Four goals, 13 assists, and a league title. Yeah, not bad a right for back. a defender. Yeah, not, not bad, bad for a defender, but for <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne, he is undoubtedly and also just can't really argue it. He is literally the key player, the best player of the, the season. Yeah, uh, so Kevin De Bruyne, just uh, be on the lookout for a random medal we find. Or sticker. <laughs> yeah, random sticker <laughs> sent to your house. So budget. Yeah, don't yeah. call the cops on us if you see something that says the Premier Pod <laughs> from us. Yeah. But yeah, that kind of that wraps us wraps up our award show. We added some awards from last season, but we try to keep pretty much a little bit of continuity with the awards and such. We know a little bit more about what we're doing in terms of the whole award ceremony and stuff so we hope you guys enjoyed this episode it was a a little bit of a different type of format obviously because we're giving out awards however um like with every other episode we want to hear what you guys have to say so please make sure to rate comment subscribe if you give us a uh, a rating on apple Podcasts, it kind of boosts our chances of getting seen more to other people Um, we also have a youtube channel that you can subscribe to called the premiere pod where we also post our podcast episodes and then please Make sure to give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at the Premier Pod. We're active on both. Twitter is probably the best way to get in contact with us if you want to ever ask any questions or just interact with us in general. We're always posting on there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, 
that kind of wraps up. Maybe we can get up. big enough, like yes, <laughs> with some sponsors, and then we can actually send these awards. Yes. <laughs> no, exactly. We're that's something we are we are trying to uh, trying to make happen. So whenever we do, you guys will definitely be the first ones to know. But yeah, that kind of wraps up season three, episode eighty three for us. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Peace, peace. <laughs>